Welcome back to Behind the Screens. I'm Matthew Liebman from Movia. And I'm Brian Preventure, filling in for Simon Burton, who's in Cine Europe this week. Yeah, and it's an auspicious episode for you to come into, Ryan. Um, I'm told by our producer, Patrick, that this is our 50th episode. Uh, Never really thought we might get to double figures, let alone um, a half ton, as they say in the cricketing game. Uh, And it's uh, it's great to have you here. I know Simon tries to avoid episodes that are close to his age. So that's another reason he might not have made it here today. (laughs) It's great to be here. But we will have him back next week. We're going to do our uh, our typical post trade show roundtable. So Simon will be back, Sarah Luthwaite and Leon Newnham from Vista. And we'll get all the um, tips and and announcements and vibe coming out of Barcelona for Cine Europe. But uh, that's next week. Let's focus on this week. And it was kind of a strange hybrid of public holiday, non-public holiday in the US. So I thought what might be useful for our non-US listeners is if you could explain what Juneteenth is. And from a business perspective, is this your typical long weekend as well? Yeah, so Juneteenth is a federal holiday that was started last year, that was enacted last year. And what it what it actually does is commemorates uh, General Order Number 3 which was issued right after the Civil War had ended. So when one of the generals, uh, Gordon Granger, arrived in Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865, he was issuing issuing the order of the arrival of the federal troops in Galveston to end the Civil War and the the emancipation of all the slaves. So slavery officially ended at this time. And that's that's worth celebrating. (laughs) And what happened... What happened this year was a little bit different. This is really the first year it was celebrated as a federal holiday, is that the day, the 19th, was on Sunday, so the federal holiday actually fell on Monday this year. Okay, so let's not underestimate the importance and the significance of this holiday, but given this is a movie podcast, do we think of this um, in terms of grosses of your typical four-day weekend, or is it something different in terms of what we would expect from the numbers? Yeah, I don't, I think because it's a new holiday, not all corporations and even all states are are recognizing it in, this, in the sense of days off. So it's going to be a little bit different. It It's really going to be hard to analyze how much it really impacted the box office in comparisons. You could look at other years to see how the Mondays after, but there were different movies playing at different times. I think it's sort of in some ways, it's sort of kind of a, a 50-50 split in how it actually is affecting the box office in terms of people not... A lot of kids are already out of school, so it's not going to affect that much. It's whether their parents are working or not, and they can take them out to go see a movie on that Monday. So that's a great segue. Did people go out and see movies, uh, not only in the US, but around the world? Why don't you kick yourself with a bit of a global perspective, and then we can dive deep into the domestic market? Yeah, this week it was Jurassic World all the time, frankly. And despite not great reviews, this this movie just is absolutely having a stellar second week, at least domestically, and a couple weeks more internationally. It's grows it grows seventy six point one million this weekend, and now is at six hundred twenty two million. Really, in only a couple weeks of release, that's that's pretty phenomenal. Uh, and you know, I think there's always this theory is when you get to the third and fourth films, 
sometimes even the fifth, when does when does the franchise begin to peter out a little? And clearly, despite not great reviews, it hasn't mattered for Jurassic World at all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, when you look at petering out, was it Police Academy 5 or 6 that they lost their way? Uh, I think it was 2, but yes, it was <laughs> probably 5 that year. Yeah, it really petered out. Whenever they went to Russia. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then, then you have Top Gun Maverick. And this is the movie that really I think we're going to be talking about for the rest of the year. And 39.7 million in 64 markets in multiple weeks of release. And, you know, it grossed another 19 million internationally, 885.2 million worldwide. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable for this particular, I, I, you know, it's easily going to pass a billion dollars. It's going to be, it's clearly his biggest film, Tom Cruise. It's just, it's, it's extraordinary. And it's, it's not the little movie that could, but it's a movie that I think has beaten every single person's expectations of what they thought this film was going to do. And look, it's always tough um, when you, you start seeing productions copycat a big success like this. I always like to, to call up, um, you know, the success of Titanic spawned Pearl Harbor. Um, but I'm wondering what will come off the back of a big blockbuster without superheroes, without laser beams, without aliens, a real world adventure film like this and what that might do to storytelling down the track because it's been a Marvel DC tentpole world uh, for the better part of a decade. And this might shuffle the sorts of stories we see coming through the, the theater doors. And I don't think it hurts that it has, what is it, a 97% positive reviews and audiences are loving it. Everything clicked here. And I, I'd like to think that if if filmmakers and studios can look at this and say, hey, we can make really good quality entertainment that isn't part of a huge IP that we can we can still bring people in. And, you know, it also proves that there still are those stars that bring in the box office. You know, it hasn't it hasn't really faded for Tom Cruise. And he's also a man that has that has a franchise in in Mission Impossible where the films have gotten better each time. And how often can you say that? Well, it'll be interesting to see what momentum uh, Top Gun carries into the box office for next year's mission. Um, I would imagine that it'll get a solid boost for people who uh, mightn't have been with the earlier installments, but what another Tom Cruise fix after the buzz they got with Top Gun. Right, exactly. What we've talked about so far, though, are films in their second plus week. There was a new release last week. Uh, how did Lightyear do? So uh, internationally, we can talk about it a little and then we can talk more about the about how it did domestically both sides didn't didn't really all do that well at all internationally it grossed 34.6 million in 43 markets that's that's not a number that pixar is used to it just really isn't i think i think part of it is it did really jurassic world gobbled up a lot of the box office there the there is a good sign for lightyear in the Latin American market, it was number one at the box office in almost all of that territory. That's a good sign moving forward. How much of that legs can it have internationally as it expands a little further? We'll see. The same can be said, we can now kind of look into how it did domestically here. It did 51 million over the weekend. And, you know, when you look at 51 million during a pandemic, you know, that that's a success for any of a number of films. And it's a little harder to compare it, say, for Toy Story 4, which was a number of years ago, not during a pandemic. 
and didn't necessarily have the same competition. The problem is the forecast was 20 million more than what it actually did. So that's, and, and exhibitors are seeing that. You know, there's, there's reasons why the film might have not done so well domestically and internationally. It was the nostalgia there for adults that saw the original and had been watching these films over the years. Maybe, maybe not. It's, it's a 20-year-old franchise. But then again, uh, 20-plus-year-old franchise. And then again, there's Top Gun, which is even older and was able to connect there. Part of the problem I'm wondering is, is it a franchise in that we have two, you know, three installments of a film about two toys, and now we have this spin-off that's not quite buzz, but is sort of buzz. And I'm wondering what that might have done as well. Was was there an element of market confusion as to what this film was in the, you know, um, the the Toy Story universe, for want of a better term? I think people just want to go in knowing exactly what they're going to get out of it. They don't mind twists and turns in the movie, but when they they want an advertising, understand exactly what what's in front of them. And you're right. I think there might have been a little bit of confusion there, but. You know, kids' films hang in there. Uh, Bad Guys is a great example that that film has stayed in the top 10 since it came out months ago. And there are some predictors that say it could hit 200 million. I, I don't know if that's, if that's capable of happening in the U.S. It might. But, uh, you know, these films do hang on. And this isn't, there have been some grosses of Pixar films that have come out in the fall that have had around this kind of number. So we'll see, we'll kind of see if it hangs in there. The good thing is it had an A minus cinema score and all the scores coming out of the theaters were really strong for, for the film. Whether that brings word of mouth in, in kids out there is possible, but Minions is gonna, is gonna take out a lot of any of the steam that, that Lightyear has now in a couple of weeks. So it's gotta try to build that audience pretty fast because if it doesn't, Minions will, will take control. Yeah, yeah. And look, it, it's disappointing it didn't hit the target that, that had been spoken of. I think the positive is it's great to see a Pixar title with a proper theatrical release. It's the first one since Toy Story 4, which was essentially the same weekend back in 2019. I know Onward had a partial theatrical um, release, but that was pandemic motivated. And Pixar released some terrific films, particularly Soul and Luca, but also Turning Red on Disney Plus, and they've missed the theatres. So when we look at the similar titles, we can't look at those those in particular because there wasn't um, a box office uh, element to them. So when we look at the similar titles so far, what we've seen is Sonic 2, The Bad Guys, Toy Story 4, Jurassic World Dominion showing uh, a recency. People are seeing trailers and coming back in. Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And then we have seen Encanto, Onward and Frozen 2. But what I thought I'd do is compare Lightyear's opening weekend to just Toy Story 4 because it is that same weekend uh, and it is broadly the same family, if not a, a literal sequel. And what's amazing to me is that the opening weekend profiles are nearly identical for those two movies. So that doesn't suggest that a particular segment of the audience stayed away, more that an element of the, the total audience didn't come into theatres, almost in proportion rather than one outperforming. Lightyear's audience was comprised 32% of infrequent moviegoers, uh, meaning that they go fewer than four times a year. And that compared to 30% for Toy Story 4. So broadly the same. And those two decimal points were, were distributed uh, pretty much equally amongst the other three frequency categories that we monitor. 
Lightyear had 32% of their audience aged under 17. It was 35% for Toy Story 4, so not that different. But about one in four audience members to Lightyear were kids aged between 2 and 11. So it did play very young. For the weekend just passed, when I look at the audiences aged 12 to 17, they had the same percentage for Lightyear and Jurassic World. 8% of both audiences fell in that age group. So there might have been an element of cannibalization for those older kids uh, who might have gone to Lightyear if it had been a, a slightly quieter uh, release period. There was a difference in those aged 55 plus. So 12% of uh, Lightyear were aged in that bracket versus 9% for Toy Story 4. Does reflect an aging franchise a little bit and maybe the fact that it doesn't look as, as young as the original three Toy Stories. But the biggest difference in profile was in gender. For Lightyear, 48% were female versus 51% for Toy Story 4. And we typically expect female audiences to outperform for kids' films because they're the ones who often take the kids to the movies. Now, I don't know whether this was uh, the topic of, of the film being a space film meant more dads came along or fewer families came along. Either way could, could drive that uh, gender ratio. While we only look um, at, at the markets in terms of geography for the US, we did see this one play stronger in the rural markets uh, than Toy Story 4, 29% versus 26%. So, Ron, we've talked about this a little bit at the top, but when you look at the profiles being close to identical, but the box office being about 42% of Toy Story 4s, could it be the competition as well? I mean, we talked about the strength of Top Gun. We talked about the strength of Jurassic. Compare that to Toy Story 4, which opened against Child's Play, week 29 of Aladdin and week eight of Men in Black International. The only other kids film there was Secret Life of Pets at number five of the top five that week. It was week 15 of that particular title. So the runway was definitely clearer uh, back then than it was for Lightyear. Oh, it is. And, you know, when there is so much out there, it's it's gonna things are gonna things are as I said it's some of the box office is gonna get gobbled up here and there, and again I I get I think you have to remember that it, although the the numbers are the same this this movie was different than Toy Story four right it, is it a spinoff is it is it a is it a sequel how does it fit in how does it fit into the world I think there was a again there might have been some confusion and you know the fact is there have been a number of Pixar movies that have been streaming. Do some families maybe want to kind of watch those films with their families at home? Could that be impacting it even just a little bit? It's hard to say because there have been movies like Bad Guys that have hung in strong for quite some time. So I really think part of this is going to be second weekend is how much does it does it drop off? Because there isn't anything this coming weekend that has that same sort of appeal. I don't think people seeing Black Phone or Elvis are necessarily the same audience we're seeing like here, although there's always a little crossover. There might be some. There might be some. Christine, our colleague, I think will be at all three of them. She will be, 100% true. But you raise a good point. I wonder to what extent have families been educated that you can watch Pixar at home? Um, personally, I think that's a bit of a travesty when you've had titles like uh, Soul and Luca in particular, which to me were as good as any Pixar titles over its, its storied um, existence. Maybe there's something there. I don't think you can underestimate the level of competition in the market. And, you know, we've talked about the level of confusion, but also even if you weren't confused, it does look like it plays young. 
So there are multitude of factors. And, you know, like you say, we'll keep our fingers crossed that there's um, some legs in it, at least until Minions, uh, if not beyond. Yeah. And, you know, Pixar is good at that. Is they're, they're, The majority of their fil- films have really good legs. So we'll see if that can that can hold in. I, I'd like to think it will be. I would have seen Soul and Luca in, in the theaters. And although I didn't see Lightyear right now, I, I plan on seeing it in the theaters because I think that's, well, I, I think the majority of movies are meant to be seen on the big screen. But Pixar, I mean, they're, for, everyone says it's just a gorgeous movie. So why not see it on the big screen where it belongs? I'm with you. Now, a couple of times you said that the competition did some gobbling of Lightyear. I guess the number one gobbler out there is our dinosaur film. How did Jurassic look in week two in the domestic market and uh, and around the world? Well, you know, 600 million worldwide in just a few weeks is phenomenal. And again, for a film that didn't get the greatest reviews, but the audiences still really liked it. And, you know, the drop-off was 60%. And I, I think that's a pretty good drop-off considering a lot of things and in the marketplace. So that's not terribly uncommon for something like Jurassic World. You know, in three days, 58.6 million. That's strong. And again, I think in, in difference to Lightyear is that this felt very much part of the Jurassic World franchise. Like this was coming to an end. They were gonna they were building these three films to this moment. People believed it. There was anticipation about it. And I think there's just something about dinosaurs on the big screen that's what people want to see that good or bad people want to see dinosaurs eating up people on the on the big screen and it delivers that and you know it's a spectacle and they were able to get a lot of the imax screens and that certainly has held for a while i'm sure top gun was disappointed to lose some of those screens because that brought in a lot of their box office as well yeah absolutely we did have a quick look at how the audiences evolved between week one and two of jurassic and what we've seen is a bit of um, movement towards infrequence. So we've seen that rise from 34% in week one to 37%. More females, so from 47% up to 49%. We typically see that over time. And also, interestingly, we saw some movement and strength in groups of two or more tickets, which is often an indicator of families. And, and as we've said when we talked about light year, uh, possibly one of the reasons uh, that Lightyear was a little bit light on families with teens uh, in that 12 to 17 category. Now, I know we, we keep talking about Top Gun week in, week out, but it's impossible to ignore, uh, especially given its strength, uh, both globally and at the domestic market. What's the latest you can share there? There's no denying it. 44 million in almost a month since it came out. I mean, it's still on a ton of screens, on over 4,000 screens. And it only dropped 15%. That is, I mean, movies are going to drop a little bit lower as the weeks go by. But for a movie like this, that is absolutely extraordinary. And the movie's great. For anyone listening that hasn't seen it and you you like this type of film, you have to go out and you have to see it in the theater. And I think one thing that that Paramount and IMAX and, and the exhibitors did, at the very least in North America, they did say to see this film on the big screen. And Tom Cruise really went out there and said, I made this film for one venue and one venue only to be released in first. And that was on the big screen. So I, you got to give the man some, some kudos for doing that. And there's only one other film that debuted in wide release that has generated more in its fourth weekend 
and that was Avatar with 50 million. And again, you have to look, Avatar, Top Gun is being compared to Avatar. That's pretty extraordinary when you think of light grosses. So, you know, and this is going to, this is right now on domestic box offices, it's at number 20 at the, the lifetime. With the way this film is dropping, there's a very good chance it's going to be in the top 15 when it's all said and done and could get to number 12, which one in seat Lion King from a number of years ago, which did 544. It's, it won't get to Incredibles 2, which did 609 most likely. That would be quite a leap for the film to be able to do that. But it's, it's hard to, to really figure out where this movie is going to land because it has just been, it's been outstanding. It's going to do a billion dollars worldwide when it's all said and done. And that, that is, that's a testament to, to Paramount. It's marketing exhibitors and pushing the film and audiences wanting to get back out there. And that, to me, that's just so important that this film is really showing that people of all ages are ready to go back and see what the magic of movies is. Absolutely. And when you look at it and um, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home, we've got two of the biggest films of all time. Let's say that that um, Top Gun does crack that top 15. So we've got two of the top 15 films of all time in a, it released in a, at a time when Omicron and, and COVID is still out there to a degree. Um, so again, it does reinforce the, the desire, the hunger for people to get back into theatres. I'll only go through this quickly, but because there are still legs in Top Gun, we thought we'd see how that um, audience has evolved, especially since the week uh, end of week two. What we're seeing now is 55% of the audience is infrequent versus 44% from opening weekend. So it continues to pull people who haven't been in theatres back through the doors. It's becoming both younger and older at the same time at the expense of the middle band. So um, the opening weekend, uh, we saw 13% of the audience was aged 17 and under. It's up to 16%. Opening weekend, we saw 15% of the audience aged 65 plus. It's now up to 24%. So it's, it's sort of bulging at the beginning and the end of the life cycle. We're seeing a large gender turnaround. It was 56% male opening weekend. It's now 51% female. So a complete turnaround there as well. And while um, this is our, our US only domestic stat, one of the things we have noticed is the audience is becoming less ethnically diverse um, over time. So it was 69% Caucasian in the opening weekend. That's grown to 73%. So the audience is shifting still. Um, I think one of the more interesting ones is that age. I don't think I've seen very young and very old audiences evolve as much at the expense of a middle band. It's usually linear. It gets older over time, not the twin peaks that we're seeing here. So another anomaly to um, Top Gun's list of anomalous performance and success. Yeah, it's really it's really difficult to find any any flaws in how this film has 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 performed uh, since it opened. So, Ryan, that brings us to the end of what's hit the markets this week, especially the big three titles out there. Um, but we've got some interesting titles that are coming out next week uh, with um, with Black Phone and Elvis. Um, what's your, your focus on those two or your thoughts on those? You know, Black Phone did a screening at CinemaCon a couple months ago, and it did incredibly well. The reviews are really strong right now, which for a film like this, could go either way. So I think the reviews are going to help this film. I There hasn't been a horror film in a little bit, so I think the people are kind of aching for this. I think this, this is a good time to release Black Phone with Nope coming out 
next month. And I, I, I really hope that Nope is going to follow in Jordan Peele's footsteps of his other films, because if it does, it's going to have great legs and hopefully a really strong opening. And then really Elvis, there's nothing like Elvis out right now. I, the audience for Top Gun is probably somewhat similar to that. But, you know, recent films of Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man have both performed very well in the box office. It's been a couple of years, so we'll see um, how people are, are going to respond to it. The reviews aren't fantastic, but the lead has gotten so much attention of how great he is in playing Elvis. I think it's going to hit some audience members. It's a long film. That would be a little tough for whether, whether audiences are going to come out, but movies like this tend to find them no matter how long they are. And of course, I have to fly the flag and say it's a Baz Luhrmann film. Um, and Baz Luhrmann films often have mixed reviews, but find a very passionate audience. You can see that with things like Moulin Rouge, with Romeo and Juliet, um, and also with Great Gatsby. And from what we saw at CinemaCon and the Australian Movie Convention, it is definitely a Baz Luhrmann title. Um, and that audience will definitely come out. Um, certainly see that it'll outperform in this part of the world with a bit of parochialism there as well. But what we'll be able to do is next week, see, um, see whether we're right, see what the box office looks like. We'll also then be able to sit down with Sarah, Simon and Leon and get the latest from Cine Europe. So Ryan, thank you so much for sitting in for Simon this week. Thank you to everyone who stuck with us for 50 episodes. Um, that might just be Simon and my mum. There could be a couple of extras. But we do appreciate you listening and we look forward to joining you again next week behind the screens. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world-leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Scenes podcast is produced by Grace Furness, edited by Patrick Hanna, with additional support from Ryan Preventure, Georgia Culverwell and Christine Rizzolo.